0: My name is Kate Proud and I am an assistant bishop in the Diocese of Melbourne in Australia and um, I'm also a clinical psychologist so um, I understand my ministry very much as a dual vocation as priest and psychologist.
1: How did you become a bishop? Um,
0: Well it was a very um, left field appointment. Um, It was never something that was on my radar and um, the Archbishop, this is the short version, the Archbishop asked me to um, come and have a meeting with him and I thought he was going to talk to me about my dual vocation unbeknownst to me, his intention was to ask me if I would be the next assistant bishop because I think he was very committed to um, women in ministry in positions of leadership, senior leadership positions. And um, I think he was also interested in uh, having somebody who perhaps had come from a different pathway um, because I'd had uh, many years where I'd been doing some paid but mostly honorary ministry um, uh, as a priest. And uh, at the same time, my paid work was as as a psychologist. So I'd sort of been outside the walls of the church, as it were, for several years. And so I think he was hoping that that would, by having somebody like me in this position of leadership, it would kind of open doors and possibilities and uh, to other women who, who and other people in the church who might be considering um, ordained ministry. How's it been? Well, it's been a huge year. I've only just uh, celebrated my first anniversary as um, a bishop and um, it, it would have to have been the steepest learning curve for me ever in my professional life. Just because um, there were so many of the processes that I didn't know, um, not having come, I guess, to this position, you know, in a conventional way, as it were. So there were lots of processes I didn't understand, didn't know, weren't familiar with. So I really had to kind of choose mentors who were, who would be people I could feel safe with to be able to... Sa- to be able to ask them you know how do you do this how might I go about that and fortunately I think one of my skills is in networking and and I already had an established network but I was I had to very quickly had to develop a network of of people I could trust and could go to who could give me wise counsel and also just offer me a lot of practical assistance.
1: Have there been many tears or just a lot of whiskey along the way in the last year?
0: Oh gosh it's hard to choose Laura <laughs> whether there's been more whiskey or more tears or tears as I drink the whiskey <laughs> um, yeah there ha- I have to admit there've been lots of tears lots of tears of frustration tears of you know how can I do this tears of why God um, has this happened why have you called me into a role that that seems so difficult at times and just that that costly burden, it's the costly privilege of the ministry. I mean, I and I had thought, as I said, it was a left-field appointment, I'd thought that I was um, meeting with the Archbishop to discuss a potential parish I was interested in and then went away an hour later, an hour and a half later, thinking he's asked me to have oversight of 60 parishes and 80-something centres, plus schools, plus hospitals, um, you know, I, I I hadn't intended any of that to happen at all. So um, stepping into that role was just so significant. So and, and the weight of expectation has has been big. Plus, I'm very aware that there are plenty of people who would have loved to have stepped into these shoes, and uh, and my appointment would have been a huge surprise to nearly everyone, if not everyone, in our diocese. Um, so I've been aware of that and had to kind of grapple with that. Now, I have to be careful that I don't assume that other people are thinking things about me, and and I've done a lot of work and sought a lot of counsel and support um, professionally and um, just in terms of my own support network, you know, um, to kind of keep a check on those things. Um, The thing that's really helped me during that time is actually my... Prayer time. I have um, my quiet time in the morning. I, I've spent, you know, hours and hours sitting in that chair um, faithfully, you know, going to the place and saying, I'm here, God, I'm making myself available, I'm turning up for you. And that's what I've done in these last 12 months. I've kept turning up for God and I keep putting on that purple shirt every day as i um, because i've committed myself to inhabiting this role and trying to be faithful in this role as bishop and so putting on the shirt putting on the pectoral cross um, turning up for god is the commitment that i make
1: How easy has it been to get your family to adjust to that as well? I mean, they've obviously got a different Kate, I would imagine, over the last year, as Mm. well as a a different routine that you have. You committed to God, but Mm. Mm. they're kind of not the fallout, but they're on the receiving end of that, aren't they? Yes, yes. It has been a
0: really significant adjustment, um, and I feel quite protective of my family. I mean, I have three children, but two of them no longer live at home. And for the youngest, I was very committed to um her, for example, being able to stay at the school she's at, so that there was not that disruption for her because you're right it was it's my appointment, it's the change in my um professional and vocational life but it but it impinges on the family i mean i'm much I'm around you know a lot less so uh, my husband, who's always been incredibly domesticated and involved, um, he's, he's also had to step up in a different way. And, um, you know, our division of labour uh, has changed significantly. We used to share so many things, but now he's had to carry a lot of that domestic slack, I think. Um, and he's willingly done it, but it's, it's not easy. Uh, but we keep checking in with each other and um, every now and then I reacquaint myself with my youngest daughter but no she's good good.
1: so if in your role as a clinical psychologist somebody came in and asked you for help or wanted to talk through the issue of changing jobs having been set in one way for a long time and being quite happy in that career and then being thrown a curveball what advice would you give them
0: Well, it's a very good question. I'm not sure that I would give them advice. Um, I'd be asking them to explore what their fear is about. What's their apprehension? And um, I'd I'd be encouraging them to um, articulate what their um, skills and gifts are, why it is they think they've been asked to... Um, to step into this role and uh, I'd be encouraging them to sit with their struggles at the same time as allowing themselves to imagine um, what it is and identify what it is they have that um, this position of leadership has been discerned in them as a possibility and I'd get them also to explore what leadership in the church means and as a female leader, what it is they're contributing. We might have a quite a limited understanding of what leadership is and, and that might begin with, I've got to be everything to all people. Um, and, and if they're coming from that perspective, then it is going to be a terrifying proposition and an impossible goal to fulfil, you know. But um, I'd, I'd really spend quite a bit of time with them, encouraging them to explore what is leadership, what do they have to contribute, and if they think they haven't got all the skills and gifts necessary, who do they need to go to, where do they need to go to either upskill, um, get the support they need, um, who will they have around them, what kind of team will they have around them. Because a year down the track, I realised that as Bishop, it's not all up to me, and, and and one of the things I've had to do, and one of the things I've enjoyed doing is is networking and and building a team around me and realizing that there are many people who contribute to this ministry in the particular um area in which i I have re- responsibility for.
1: Do you have much downtime? Do you have any time that's either before you're laughing at me <laughs> yeah,
0: downtime? <laughs> The answer is I haven't had much downtime, um, but I'd have to add to that that um, I need to take responsibility for that myself. Um, as a psychologist, if a client came to me and said, I've hardly had a day off this year, I would be looking at them and saying, what are you doing with your life that's meant that you've not diarised this time off? Uh I have found it very difficult, and I guess that's partly been because I've been, you know, i felt flooded at times by the weight of the responsibility, as I said earlier. Um, but what I'm learning is, you know, I can't sustain it. I cannot spend, you know, another year like I've had last year where I've hardly had days off. And as I say, nobody's put that on me. I've put it on myself. Um, so now I realise the importance of that that spiritual discipline, really, of having a day off. Of course, there's sometimes things that come up that necessitate that you can't have the particular designated day off. But what can I do to be able to give myself those breaks, be able to give myself um, that time to refresh and replenish? Because otherwise, you know, the vessel is empty and there's nothing more to give. And there've been times when I've felt um, spent and uh, everyone needs to replenish. That's why the Sabbath has such meaning, you know, having, having time off is really important. So going into my second year, um, I'm already more disciplined about taking time off and um, organising holidays and doing things that, that we do to, you know, refresh and recuperate.
1: I just wonder why God doesn't make it easier for people <laughs> you're working for him you're spreading his word his love and yet he's making it tough to deliver isn't he mm. or well, is he well, is it- yeah
0: I think I'd have a different understanding about that Laura I think I think what I'd say is yes uh the role of bishop is a huge challenge there's no doubt about that um and it's a huge privilege um I think it's more about my own expectations that I put on myself and there's a whole life that's contributed to that, you know. I wouldn't pin that on God.
1: What's your family background with religion?
0: Uh, just, you know, born and bred an uh, Anderkin sent along to church, nothing terribly, you know, exciting. Um, I mean, I grew up in that area where it was expected that you went to church and then um, for many children who... In my era, once they turned 13 or 14 and were confirmed, they left the church, but if, but I kept going. I started singing in a choir when I was about that age, and um, church music's always been really important to me, and I think that, that gave me a sort of um, a, a community within a community, and I think music really, or well, for me, takes me into another realm, and um, it's always been... Um, an important part of my worship and so being in choirs has given me huge enjoyment throughout my life and it kept me connected really to churches. Um, I just never left and then as I got older of course I was much more aware of of how important my faith was and at about 13 I wanted to be a nun Um, so I went through that that phase and actually it was a priest and a nun in the particular community i was involved in who really respected my sense of call and i suspect that neither of them thought it was ever going to come to fruition or who knows but they never patronized me by saying oh you know you're only 13 and what would you know they absolutely took me seriously i've never forgotten them for that and and um I've remembered it as I became an adult and worked, you know, work, did find myself working in the church, albeit in another capacity, um, to, to take people seriously and take children seriously. Um, and that was very um, significant in terms of my faith um, development and formation.
1: Have you got any family connected to the church, working in the church? I, yes, I do have. My husband is a priest
0: And also my brother is a bishop and he um, serves in the UK. He did his training in the United Kingdom and um, became a bishop actually at a very young age in his early 30s. So actually we are the first brother and sister bishop in the history of the world, I think, we, we both think it's rather hilarious in lots of ways, but uh, my brother has been one of my greatest supports in the last 12 months, um, which is somewhat of an irony because he's a traditionalist bishop, which means that he, he doesn't actually believe in the ordination of women. That said, we have learnt over the years, and it's not been an easy journey for me in particular, but we have learnt to love in difference. Um, which means that we, we've had to agree to disagree on this particular issue um, but I have felt nothing but support from him and in fact the pectoral cross which is the cross I wear around my neck was the one that he gave me um, for my consecration and he presented it to me in the service and it was actually the cross that our parents gave him for his consecration.
1: Did you ever try and persuade him that he was wrong about the ordination of women?
0: That's a really good question. I don't think I so much tried to persuade him, but I think for many years I just thought, what, on, what is wrong with you? You know, what is so difficult about this? I just, I just cannot understand where you're coming from. And I think what happened to me over time again with lots of opportunities to talk about this not so much with him because he was living in a different country um but i i needed to talk through it with professionals and uh, with my own support network um i think what i came to realize is that just as i believe very strongly in my views and believe that this is of god that is what he believes and so it's not up to me to try and convince him. He's being as faithful as he can to his understanding of what God wants uh, of people in, in ordination, and I'm being faithful in my understanding of what ordination means. So we've agreed to disagree, but we, we have had those hard conversations and they've, they've, they have been hard and they've been painful. But I think now we're in a very respectful place And I think that's what enables me to be able to ask him for support and for him to be able to offer me the support. I feel altogether respected by him. What's your favourite verse? I have many favourite verses, um, but I think one that is... ..means a lot to me and that I often share with other people in times of need is one from the Old Testament um, from Joshua where um, god says i will not fail you or forsake you and uh, i think to me that speaks of god's presence through thick and thin that god is there in every corner of our lives in the darkest corner of our lives which of course is what the cross is about and um and the resurrection that that There is no place on this earth where God is not present. So that's a very important verse for me. And I think also from John's prologue, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. For me, that beginning of John's gospel, the prologue, really speaks to me about God being here present in the flesh the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming to be with us, is God incarnate, as we say, God in the flesh, God with skin on. And so that reminds me that there need be no secrets between me and God, that Jesus, fully divine, fully human, um, understands me. And so I don't need to be other than who I am. I mean, of course, I'm going to strive to be the best person i can be in god's image but that nothing else is required but who i am and i think that's what's helped me that's what helped me say yes to this invitation by the archbishop to to be a bishop
1: and what's your favorite whiskey
0: <laughs> oh well what's my favorite whiskey i've just discovered oban uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. How else do you pronounce it? Uh, so, Oban is one that I'm it's, it's growing on me, but I like single malt whiskies. Bertie Who prays a watchware media production.